Hello there. Welcome to a brand new Arsblog Arscast right here on Arsblog.com. Hope you're well. Good to have you along. Thanks for being here. Thank you, as always, for listening. Um, I'm struggling a little bit, I have to tell you. Early on, I might as well get it out there. I'm really, really struggling to think of things that we could talk about because it's been a it's been a fairly quiet week from an Arsenal point of view. You know, we played last Sunday. We won the game 2-0. It was quite uneventful, really. There were no injuries, no major incidents to talk about. You know, we've done the whole Alan Hutton is a really bad footballer. It would be great to play him every week thing. And then we don't play again until Monday. So you don't have the urgency of the weekend, do you? You know, even the players were given some time off this week, scattered far and wide. Arsene Wenger said, go rest your weary limbs and legs, fellas. So nothing was happening. There are no stories. So I don't know what we're going to talk about today. It's... What the hell? I mean, it's a struggle. You know, I'm feeling the pressure here, folks. Because, you know, I, I normally talk for a bit about stuff and things. And, and there's nothing to nothing to talk about. If only something had happened in the, in the world of football that would, you know, engage us all. If only there'd been, I don't know, some kind of seismic event. Not even at Arsenal, perhaps at another club involving a high-profile figure in the game. Somebody in whom Arsenal fans have got an interest because that person might have been, you know, a complete another cunt down the years. If only something like that had happened. Hang on. Right. Okay. Right, Jose Mourinho got sacked by Chelsea. I think we should talk about that for a little bit, right? Because here's something that, that sums him up, to me anyway. Like the Arscast goes out on a Friday morning, but I try and, you know, prepare stuff and I talk to people, I talk to my guests. My guest this week is uh, Jim Campbell from uh, the Football Ramble. We'll be talking to him in a little while. Uh, but because it has been a quiet week and because Chelsea lost to Leicester on Monday night and, and we were knocked off the top of the table... You know, we talked about that. We talked about Mourinho for a good six or seven minutes. And it was good stuff. Good stuff. But I recorded that at about one o'clock in the day. And by, what, three o'clock or half past three? Game over. Kaput, he was gone. Thus rendering those seven minutes of quality audio content completely irrelevant and out of date. So even in being fired, he's being a cunt. Isn't that just the true measure of the man? That when something that should be hilarious happens to him, it, it impacts me personally in a negative way and also you personally in a negative way because now I can't broadcast that and you'll never get to hear it. And it was sensational. It was possibly the best six minutes of audio recorded in 2015. But, uh, you know, it's just, it's just, you can't use it. You can't use it because it's not in date. It's out of date. And, you know, the professional side of me won't allow that to happen. So that's it. We've lost six or seven minutes of this podcast because of Jose Mourinho. The other thing is that it's a kind of a shame, isn't it? In a way, as much as the whole him being fired thing is hilarious because nobody likes him and a man losing his job is funny when you don't like him, right? It's also a shame because he was doing a fucking great job. Like he was doing the Lord's work there at Chelsea this season. 
It couldn't have been any better. And I have a theory. I have a little bit of a theory on this. I think that for all the reasons people point fingers at players and they point fingers at, at circumstances and transfer windows, I think Mourinho has engineered this situation completely. I think that he's wanted to be fired by Chelsea since signing that new contract. I think he signed a new contract in August. I'm just going to check that here. Hang on one second. So we're going to check that. No, stop doing that. No, get in there. And Yes. Right. So... Uh, Chelsea Football Club is delighted to announce that Jose Mourinho has signed a new four-year contract. This was Friday the 7th of August, right before the season even began. £10 million a year or whatever the hell it was. It was a lot of money. And he'd won the title and he's looking around his squad then. He's going, hmm, John Terry, getting old. Ivanovic, getting old. Czech, they've sold Czech. Fabregas. Can only do it half a season. Eden Hazard doesn't really like me. Diego Costa, fat prick. John Obi Mikel, what? Falcao, the man has no knees. He's got no knees. How? What am I supposed to do with this? So Ienji gets a new contract, right? And then from that point on, he behaves in a way which can only ever lead to one outcome. And that's being fired. So he does that by behaving poorly, uh, maybe who knows what he did on the training ground, fuck all by the looks of it, alienating people within the club, alienating players. And it's interesting because I remember talking to Ken Early from Second Captains for the opening arse cast of this season. And we talked about like the football in general, Arsenal, all that, but we talked about Mourinho a bit. And uh, let's have a listen back to what Ken was saying about Mourinho then. This is in in August. The, the closer his life gets to what should be some kind of state of contentment or stability, the more he just wants to ruin it. I mean, he, it's like he wants to, he hates the whole idea of stability. Just something in him rebels against it and he wants to tip tip over the table and just make a scene. You know? He was talking this week about how uh, the fights with Abramovich were, were a thing of the past. <laughs> he's just reminding everyone of it. He's just reminding Abramovich. <laughs> Remember how it was last time? Something about that team, the way that it's set up, the way that he's behaving doesn't really convince me. He he doesn't last anywhere for, I mean, I know he's saying, oh, you know, I want to I want to stay here. I want to be here for, you know, till I'm 70. I want to coach till I'm 70 anyway. Uh, he, he says he wants to stay for a long time, but he just can't. I don't, I just don't think he's psychologically able to do it. Mm. And maybe it's, it's because of his, oh, um, you know, the conflict model or whatever it is he calls it. Basically, you go around just insulting everyone all the time <laughs> and, like, in the hope of provoking a reaction, you know? Well, you just do that enough time and you get you lose your job. Yeah. Like, I mean, look at him already last week before the before the games had started. Pelleg- Pellegrini, you know, he had to go Pellegrini. Obviously, Wenger was a loser, you know, Rafa's fat, his wife needs to get back in the kitchen. That's before anything has happened. <laughs> it's, it's insane. It's crazy. Like, Alex Ferguson never went on like that. You yeah. can't do that. Yeah. It's just like, it's just, you, you, you've got a, Mourinho has got a certain amount of the power and influence Ferguson used to have, but you can't just, you have to conserve it in order to be able to use it. You can't just be <laughs> willy-nilly. It's a blunderbuss. Just, you just can't do that. You know, eventually you, you just piss off a critical mass of people who are, who are kind of like, this guy's just, you know. Yeah. And I mean, if, if it's hap- that's happening on the outside, you imagine what's happening on the inside as well. Sure. So you remember before the start of the season, I think he called Pellegrini Pellegrino. He had things to say about Arsene Wenger 
as he always does. He reminds Abramovich about all the times they, they used to fight. And then the season started badly and things happened, didn't they? Things went on during the season. He, you know, the form wasn't good. Then he goes, how do I make things worse? Right? How do I make things much worse? So the, the whole doctor physio thing happens. He knows the rules as well as anybody. That when a player is down injured and the referee calls a physio on, the physio has to go on. He knows that. He knows that the physio and the club doctor did nothing wrong whatsoever, but he makes it into an explosive uh, situation. He escalates it to the point where it becomes a, a huge, massive thing. Massive thing. Then they lose to Southampton. He goes on this rant, this seven-minute rant that he did on Sky. The guy asked one question, and he ranted for seven minutes. And that was a real, fuck you, fire me. I'm going to keep doing what I do. But fire me if you want. Otherwise, shut the fuck up. I'm Jose Mourinho. I'll do what I want. Then there was the other one. What did he keep saying? I'd rather not speak. I'd rather not speak. He did a whole interview of, I'd rather not speak. It was like fucking Dangerous Liaisons, wasn't it? It's beyond my control. Except Dangerous Liaisons had Michelle Pfeiffer in it, and that's great. But uh, uh, Jose Mourinho did not have Michelle Pfeiffer, so that makes him much less great. So he did that whole thing. And then you, you have to take into account the basic fact, right? This is a manager who, with those players, won the league last season. Relatively easily, you'd also have to say. And he has been, throughout his career, very successful. Regardless of the fact that he is up there with Phil Collins, history's greatest monster... You can't overlook the fact that he's been a very successful football manager for a long time. So does it make more sense that he's unwilling to fix the problems at Chelsea or unable? Like any manager, any team can go through a little patch of bad form, a couple of bad games here and there. But this wasn't a patch. This was practically half a season. So I don't think it's a case that he was unable to turn it around. I think he just didn't want to. I think, genuinely, that he wanted to get to a point where his sacking became inevitable. That there was just no other option but to sack him. And winning games of football, well, that doesn't help there. So you behave in a way towards your players that makes them not go that extra mile for you. And if your performance level drops in the Premier League by 2 or 3 or 4%, maybe 5 or 10% even, most of the time you're going to get beaten. Simple as that. And he knows that. He's long in the game. He knows that. So uh, the defeat to Leicester on Monday night, he talks about being betrayed. He says that it was him that got the players to a level that was beyond them to win the title last season. All complete horseshit. He knows. He knows. He's been trying to get fired for fucking months now, and he's done it. And that's another part of uh, what makes it kind of annoying, even if it's great in another way, is that he got what he wanted. Fucker. So no more Jose Mourinho in the Premier League. Talk of Chelsea hiring Juan de Ramos. I mean, really? That would be quite strange. I just looked him up on Wikipedia and look at the, the, uh, the list of clubs that he's been manager of. I think there's one called here Illicitano. Or Ill Ill yeah, Illicitano. That's a brilliant name. Ah, it's Elche. Yeah, and then after, you know, after that, he went to Alcoyano, Levante, Logroñez, Barcelona B, Lleida, Rayo Vallecano, Betis, Espanyol, Malaga, Sevilla, Tottenham Hotspur, Real, Ma Real Madrid? He was manager of Real Madrid? Really? 
My memory's not what it was. CSK in Moscow, and then he's been manager of Dnipro, or he was, until uh, 2014. And Well, he's had a loose end. Bring him in. Let him do what he will do with Chelsea, I guess. And Goose Hiddink as well, his name has been mentioned. But ultimately, even if it was something that he orchestrated and engineered himself to get a massive, massive payoff from Roman Abramovich one more time, man, he's got very rich off Chelsea, that guy. Holy shit. Uh, even if it was something that he wanted, I think we can all take a little bit of a pleasure in, in seeing him go down the way that he's gone down because it has been reputationally damaging as well. I think that's, I think that's fair to say. How many big clubs are going to go after him now? Probably PSG will take him at some point because they don't care and they don't you know, look at longevity as a thing. But look, people know what they're going to get with him. He'll come in, he'll have some success, he'll be a massive wanker and within three years he'll be gone. That's what he does. That's who he is. And all joking aside, you know, I, I won't miss him even one slight bit. I think he is one of the worst people that's ever been in football. And, uh, you know, I hope his head falls off. And I did say, all joking aside. So you can take that one on face value. So, look, let's move on with the show and let's talk to our guest this week, Jim Campbell from uh, Football Ramble. As I mentioned to you, we have lost those six minutes of glorious, glorious audio. But look, that is the way the cookie crumbles. Sometimes you're a slave to current affairs and current events. So let's do that. We're going to pick up the conversation probably when we're talking about Leicester. Yeah. So let's do that. Let's move on from him because we've just spent essentially seven and a half minutes uh, talking about him when we could have just said he's a cunt. But um, (laughs) (laughs) uh, Leicester, very quickly, top of the table and everyone's going, this is fantastic. Leicester are are great. This is joyous for football. At what point then do we start going, hey, hang on a minute, fuck Leicester. Uh, They're actually quite good. And uh, as a a response to that, we've got to now start hating them. Yeah, it's, uh, I think it'll take a while yet. I mean, we're probably going to have to get to about, I reckon, late March um, to go, hang on, they might actually do something here. But I, I think that over the Christmas period, they'll probably fall away. I think they've got Everton, Liverpool and City next, which is, you know, that's a real test. And um, I think Everton's away as well. And, you know, Leicester are in a position now where teams are looking at them, setting up against them as they would against, you know, the, the, you know, the top four teams. So mm. that, that might be something they struggle with. But they've got Vardy and Mahrez, and if you look at stats, they they're effectively the two best players in the Premier League, whichever way you you swing it, which nobody was expecting. So you know it might be the case that Leicester can just blitz teams, and it doesn't matter how they set up against them. But yeah. I think you know sooner or later that they do concede a lot of goals, and you know if they stop scoring, they're likely to lose. So sure. I think that'll be where they come down. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think so too. But uh, you know it's been fun for them. It's been fun to watch them. And I, as I've said uh, a number of times on this podcast, I really love the way Vardy finishes. Like there's no. No uh, finesse, really. It's just like smash. I just like shut that. up. Yeah, him saying that in his head every time he strikes the ball. Yeah, it's great. It's, just, it's so so clinical and so just determined and committed. And mm. quite often you see it with players um, where you know perhaps their 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 assist rate is great or, or whatever. And you know, there's a, a touch of this to Meza Özil, um, I suppose, and also Tess Fabregas had it a little bit as well. You know, they've got this incredible range of passing, but you think why? Why doesn't that translate into goals in front of it? What is it in their heads that means when they're in front of goal, passing it into the net is harder than it is to do this pinpoint pass through like a million players on the pitch? Yeah. And Vardy seems to have none of that. Just doesn't seem to phase him at all. Like, it's like, like you say, he just doesn't think about it. He just absolutely twats it. Mm. And I love seeing that. Yeah. You know, the, 
Leicester's resurgence, or, well, surgence, I suppose you'd call it, reminds me of the 90s bit. Like when, um, you know, Norwich and Aston Villa had proper title runs. Newcastle under Keegan, all that stuff. You Mike Walker. Mike Walker at Norwich. Unbelievable stuff. Chris Mer- Sutton, Rule Fox, the worst kit ever. Just, oh, love it. <laughs> Didn't they beat Bayern Munich? Norwich? Am I remembering that right? They did, yeah. Was that in the old UEFA Cup, maybe? Yeah, I can't remember what competition. Yeah, it must have been the old UEFA Cup. But yeah, I remember them beating Bayern Munich. Which, Ridiculous. Uh, yeah. Fun times. Uh, yeah, I mean, just uh, on that, I suppose if people are, are listening to this looking for a uh, Christmas present to give to somebody, um, and we can talk about uh, the Football Ramble special, of course, in a few <laughs> moments, but uh, the uh, D- Danny Taylor's book, I Believe in Miracles, uh, the Brian Clough story of how he took this team which was essentially a fucking shambles when you read back on where they were training and what kind of players they had at the club to, to consecutive European Cups. Yeah. It's fucking amazing. It's a brilliant yeah. story and it's a great book, really well told. And, uh, you know, I think um, maybe if you grew up in football around those years, you can, you still have that, that grow, that thing for the underdog story a bit. Yeah, absolutely. And I guess, you know, the closest we are going to get to that now is Leicester. They're not going to win the league this season and then win the Champions League for the next two seasons. It's just not going to happen. Um, but it's nice to enjoy these things where, you know, where they pop up. Isn't mm, it? Mm. Yeah. And Ranieri, I think people kind of are sort of on his side a little bit because, um, you know, he was treated badly by Chelsea. He never seemed like a bad guy. And, uh, you know, for him to go uh, and beat them the other night must have been jo- uh, jolly good fun for him. But look, enough about others. Let's talk a little bit about Arsenal. Um, Aaron Ramsey in the centre of the Arsenal midfield. Uh, he's there by necessity at the moment because we don't have anyone else fit. Uh, himself and Flamini are the, the last two central midfield players we've got fit. Um, there are upsides and downsides to Aaron Ramsey in the centre of midfield. Two goals and two assists, but it does feel like we're a little more open uh, yeah, with him. Yeah, it does. Um, and I wonder, actually, if um, the downside to that is actually with Flamini just not being positionally disciplined. Uh, he was excellent against Villa, but he, you know he, it was kind of easy for him to be, wasn't it? I, I absolutely see what you're saying, but there are so many times where Flamini's bombing on where you're thinking, mate, just go, just cover. The, the, we don't need you there. We've got Ramsey and Ozil in those positions. It's like he just wants to hang out with Ozil so much. <laughs> he even wants to do it on the pitch. Um, but yeah, I, I, I see what you're saying, but... I mean, Ramsey, what, is it it's something like two assists and two goals in, in the, the three games he's been back, isn't it? Yeah. Which is absolutely fantastic. He hit the ground running as we absolutely needed him to. But I guess the real test of that will be uh, will be on Monday night against City. Um, personally, I like I say, I think it's as long as Flams, uh, Flamsey, that's the pair of them, as long as Flamini <laughs> can be a bit more disciplined uh, in his role, it should allow Ramsey to, 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 to go forward a bit more. But, you know, the, the, it seems odd to say it to... to experienced players that have been at the club for so long but I guess their partnership is still quite new isn't it so maybe they're ironing that out and it will will, uh, tighten up a bit more yeah I mean I think it does take a little while to get used to playing with people because I think you look at uh, when we do go forward uh, it strikes me that Ramsey and, and Ozil have a are very much on the same wavelength. Yeah. You know, they, they really get each other, and I think you, you can see that on the pitch, even the way that they play. And certainly now that Ramsey is back in the middle and he's he's dovetailing a bit more with yeah. uh, with Ozil, and he's actually taken over uh, from Cazorla as as the, the top pass combination in the side yes. was Ozil and Cazorla, and now it's Ramsey and Ozil. So that's good. But, I mean, is there a sense maybe as well that Ramsey himself, uh, when it comes to Monday night against Manchester City, has to be a bit more disciplined or... or can you can you ask him to do that? Does it take too much out of his game? 
It's an interesting one, isn't it? I guess it, so much of it depends on when you do and don't have the ball because, you know, to, to curb Ramsey's uh, attacking inset, I, I, instincts, you lose um, <laughs> insects. I thought, I thought you said his attacking incest and I was, I was wondering what was going on here at all. <laughs> yeah, just strange verbal quirks all around today. Um, yeah, I, I guess so much of it depends on, as I said, who has the ball because if you curb his attacking incest slash insects slash instincts too much, then you do take out a legitimate goal threat from Arsenal, which, you know, we need We need at home. We're quite tight defensively, so we've got, we've got to make sure we just take every chance we get against City. Um, but at the same time, they can switch the play so quickly in midfield. They've got all those almost Barcelona-style little players with Silva and, and Navas and possibly Nazri if he gets off the bench as well. So, uh, yeah, I think it is going to have to be a very tight, probably very high-pressing game from Arsenal to contain City. Uh, so, it, it, yeah, it may well be the case that, uh, that Ramsey's got to... Um, be a little more disciplined and sacrifice himself at the right moment. So mm. much of it is is about making the right choices at the right time. And to be fair to Ramsey, I think he's been pretty good at that so far. It's uh, a game where two returning South American players um, might make the difference. Alexis Sanchez for Arsenal, Sergio Aguero for, for Manchester City. Um, he, he's back in full training and he could play a part. Whether they risk him from the start remains to be seen. Yeah, um, it's funny on this, isn't it? I sort of... I hope they don't risk him just because we've seen so many times players be rushed back. Are we talking about Alexis or Aguero here? Uh, Alexis, sorry. Okay, I, I, I want City to risk uh, Aguero for his hamstring to go again in the first few minutes. But that could be just me. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I, um, it'd be sad for him, but I wouldn't mind that much. <laughs> he, he'll cope. Yeah, with Sanchez, um, though, it's... We've just seen it so many times, haven't we? Like it—it it seems a suspiciously short amount of time that he's been out um, from when he was first um, from when he was first injured for him to be completely fit. I know he started running again, but he's not back in full training. So mm. to go straight back onto the bench or even into the first team would be uh, might be a bit of a risk. And you know, he's always going to say that he's he's fit, isn't he? Yeah. He, yeah, you know, we remember from the summer, you know, after the Copper America, everyone was hoping he was taking a break and he's posting Instagram videos of himself training on the beach. It's like he's a machine. So, <laughs> I mean, he might have to be managed a bit more than uh, than he would like in that sense. I just I just really don't trust the idea of him coming straight back in a high intensity game and not getting another tweak. Yeah. I mean, it was November 29th when he uh, pulled up with a hamstring injury against Norwich and it's going to be December 21st. So it is over three weeks, which is okay. the usual sort of time for, for a hamstring but they did sort of say three to four weeks for this particular one so yeah I, I do wonder if he might be he might be on the bench yeah I mean the bench would make sense wouldn't it from yeah a, from a from a sort of best of both worlds sort of view because you know it is city although that said we have a pretty good record against them at home mm. um so yeah I, I don't know um I, I mean I hope he's back and he's fine I think it's just that that Arsenal thing isn't it where you hear someone's injured and you expect them to, to be gone for months and months and months regardless of what the prognosis is at the time yeah um so if we can get him back now with Ramsey and Walcott coming back and playing well I mean you know Walcott's still maybe a little rusty but that's pretty pretty normal with him isn't it he always takes a little while and he's playing sort of in a position he's I I, I have this theory about Walcott that he's about 80 percent rust all the time you know, and then he and goals, rust and goals, or the things that he does. He's the most. He baffles me as a footballer. He really does because you just go, oh, how, do I, how, what, what? And then you realise that he has an assist and a goal, or he was involved in a couple of goals. Or, you know, just stuff kind of happens around him yeah, in a it's way. Weird, isn't it? Yeah. And it's, you just you just wonder sort of if it 
if those stats are as, as they are, why doesn't why isn't he just involved more? Is it a simple case of like getting the team to play for him, or is it that if you set the team up so that they play perfectly to his strengths, other players' strengths aren't aren't brought out as much, mm. and lose more from it? It's, it's a strange one, isn't it? Yeah, really is. But you know, I'm sure somebody in time will unravel the mystery of Theo Walcott. Um, we're we've got another player, of course, who's playing very well at the moment in time, Mesut Ozil. Uh, yep. With 13 assists so far this season, uh, how how's your jury uh, when it comes to him? Is it in or out, or is it you know shaking all about because you're jumping up and down with all the goals? It's it's the the latter. <laughs> it's um it's great. I mean, I've always been a fan of, of Ozil, and I've always sort of cut him some slack whenever. I mean, you know, just, you know, some people have been on his back about the price tag or whatever, but I think he's leading assists uh, in the top five leagues in Europe, and I think I might be wrong on this, but I think he might. Um, either have just passed or be about to pass like the leading assist maker in Europe of all time oh really which is mad when he's like 27 years old um, I don't know how long stats have been around on assists for Europe so maybe that's part of it but I know he's in, he's, he's in the conversation at least so mm. I mean to be honest I like the fact that people underrate him because it means you, you know they almost don't notice what he does like yeah. that amount of assists is, is brilliant and he, he's always always really effective like his key passes are massive as well that's a stat that's overlooked a lot because he's involved in goals that he's not necessarily directly assisting quite often as well and yeah. you know, people say he doesn't score enough goals he started to shoot more and he started to score more as a result so I mean I, yeah, I could not be happy with Ozil at the moment I just hope that he, he can stay fit he's another one isn't he that yeah. I think the- without him we're in trouble. Yeah, if you got actually, he's got a, an official website, obviously, and there's a great bit on it. Somebody pointed this out to me during the week via email. I think I can't remember who did. So thank you uh, if you're listening for for sending that my way. But there's a section on it called My Facts, and it gives you all of his stats. Um, so in his career, 430 games, 174 assists, 74 goals, seven, seventeen thousand four hundred and fifty-five passes. Wow. And then you can break it down just by just by team. For Arsenal, seventy three games, twenty nine assists, twelve goals, and you can do it by uh, you can do it by season as well. You can get the, this season stats. So it's a very uh, it's a very handy little thing if you're uh, looking for some Ozil stats. Uh, but yeah, I mean he is he's become hugely important, and I think this is what people really wanted from him, wasn't it? That uh, in games, for example, where maybe as a team we weren't playing quite so well, we had this one guy who could make the difference in the way that uh, we had players like that in the past. It might have been Bergkamp. It might have been uh, Thierry Henry. It might have been Robert Pires. It might have been Patrick Vieira. Uh, you know, it's difficult to get four of those players in one team. But I think we've got two of them. Uh, we've yeah. got Alexis and, and we've got Ozil. And uh, you know, Alexis did it last season, time and time again. And uh, Ozil's, Ozil's doing it this time around. Yeah, I, th- I think as well. Part of the criticism he gets is that you know, when you talk about a player like that, you expect it to be someone who can make a goal out of, out of nowhere, or I mean, score a goal out of nowhere. But with Özil, he can put it on a plate for somewhere else out of, out of, out of nowhere. So unless you directly watch Arsenal all the time, you maybe don't appreciate um, the contribution he makes in that sense. But um, yeah, it's just—I mean, he's so consistent this season. That's what's been so impressive about it. And it's you know whether it's in game, whether it's from set pieces, um, whether it's those key passes we were talking about earlier. His work rate seems really high as well. Just you know, he's having an absolute ten out of ten season. Mm. That's what we paid the money for. And the, the great thing is, because it's taken him this time to bed in, it just seems absolutely normal now, doesn't it? And yeah. I think I don't think it's unreasonable to expect that he'll be able to play at this level for for a long time. Yeah. I don't think this is um, this is a 
you know, a period of good form. I think this is the real Ozil coming to fruition and, you know, getting to grips with his league. Yeah, these are his peak years. You know, he's 27 years of age now, so you're looking, you know, the next two, three years where he's going to be absolutely at the top of his game. And I guess what's interesting as well is that when you... The perception of his effectiveness is also dependent on other players. Like a yep. goal scorer is a goal scorer is a goal scorer. And if he scores 50 goals or 100 goals or 200 goals, you go, well, yeah, he's he's doing it. But for Ozil to be the creator or to be, um, to be held up there, he needs the guys that he's supplying to, to finish off those chances. Absolutely. I remember something really funny about Thierry Henry towards the, the end of his time with the club, just after we won the league for the last time and, um, you know, the, um, the performances started to drop over the next couple of seasons. Apparently he was uh, getting really angry with his teammates because his assist rate was dropping. So I was like, guys, look, this is my stats that you're messing up. Julio Baptista, what are you doing? Yeah. <laughs> it, yeah, it's great. I mean, Ozil is closing in on Henry's record, but I think Henry got 20 in a season. Yeah. Six. And uh, Ozil's already, you know, not far behind that with a lot of football still to be played. Mm. So, um, yeah, I think that's, that's a good motivation, isn't it? If people are looking at his stats thinking, all right, we want to help him out here, want to help him get that record. And to do that, we've got to put them away. Yeah. That, that's great. Yeah. I mean, he seems to have a very good relationship with um, both Walcott and Giroud as well. And with Ramsey, Ramsey coming in and linking up with Ozil very well there, it's, um, it's interesting that, that uh, he's, he's such a fulcrum for so many different players. Yeah, I mean, maybe he's had to adapt in a way, you know, because I think at Real Madrid, um, when he was laying them on a plate for Ronaldo and, or, or Benzema, people were saying, look, he, he, he works best when he's got a player with pace, uh, yeah. you know, who can make the runs. And I think there's something to that for sure. But if you look at a couple of the uh, the assists so far this season, uh, was it the one against Everton? And it was a, a lovely curl ball into the middle and Giroud just flicked it in o- over the goalkeeper. It was a great header, you know. And that's, you know, for all his qualities, Giroud is not a guy blessed with, with great pace. So maybe it was a case that Ozil had to get used to, to sort of playing with different players and in, yeah. in different systems to, to yeah, an extent. I, yeah, I guess you're right. I just have a different, um, a, a group of different settings almost, like a different, <laughs> different range for different players, which I guess is obviously how it works. But he seems, he seems so adaptable in that sense. Yeah. Just yeah. a joy to watch. Press the down button and choose your different tactic. That's how you do it, you see. Um, Transfer window is, is upon us. We don't normally um, enter into a great deal of speculation here, but a few bits and pieces floating around today. Anyone that caught your eye? Yeah, I mean, I guess what we're really going to do here is just um, roundly decry it all as bollocks because that tends to be what it is um, a lot of the time. This, this rumour about Nolito is not going away. I can't I can't see this personally. He's t- um, 29 years old, Celta Vigo player, just broken into the Spain squad. I think he I think he was at Barcelona for a time, not really getting in, in the team. But I just don't see Wenger signing someone at 29 now, especially not a forward. Mm. So that's a weird one. Yeah, um, I, th- I thought I saw something yesterday where he's he more or less said that he's going to stay at Celta Vigo. Yeah. So, good luck to him. That's not a story, is it? Yeah. So, no. You're not going to get any clicks off that. No way. And there's Granit Xhaka as well, who's the Swiss um, midfielder, a place for Borussia Mönchengladbach. And um, I love this idea that we have a brittle midfield and we'll solve it by signing a player called Granit. Imagine that's what whoever has written that rumour has come up with. I like it as well from the point of view that, uh, you know, if he if he scores a goal, he could be Xhaka Khan. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's all it's perfect. Actually, I hope this one comes true just for those reasons. Yeah, yeah. Uh, 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 headline writer's dream, I think. Indeed. There's, uh, actually, there's talk of a new right back as well, a guy called um, Aysa Mandy from, from Wren, who I can't 
can't claim to know anything about at all. Uh, but the right back situation is pretty interesting, isn't it? I think um, um, Matty Debushi is very clearly going to go in in the summer, if not in January. Actually, it might be that Debushi goes and we sign a replacement because he's so desperate to sort of stake a claim for France, although not Arsenal. Yeah, it would be. Um, you know, that would be an odd one for me, you know, because. Um... It would be a, a, a move that would benefit the player but would weaken us. Absolutely. And I, I don't see why Wenger would have any reason to do that unless you know, he was going to replace him. But mm. it would look to me like the plan for next season would, would to be to have Hector Bellerin as, as first choice and then have Carl Jenkinson come back uh, to challenge him. I, yeah. uh, personally, that's what I think he'll do, but who knows? It's I, a shame with Debushi. I really wanted to just refer to him as Demighty Bush throughout the season. <laughs> he just hasn't been anywhere near mighty enough. He's not allowed me to do that. Yeah, no, that's, yeah, pretty much uh, scuppered that one. Yeah, he hasn't been great, has he? You know, and I think, um, you know, I'm, I understand his frustration from a, you know, from a playing point of view, and obviously with Euro 2016 coming up, I think everybody can understand how frustrated he is at his current situation uh, and maybe have some sympathy with the situation, but not with the way that he's gone public with it. Yeah, and also I think the thing is, he just, he, I know he's coming back from some injuries, and the one against, uh, the one we got injured against Stoke must have been particularly frustrating because it was yeah. utterly, utterly pointless. But um, he just hasn't done enough, has he, when he's been in the team? He, I mean, he, he's playing like a Newcastle United right back, which I don't think we should maybe be that surprised about given the circumstances and where we bought him from. But um, yeah, he, he looks like a sort of fairly solid, dependable uh, Premier League right back, but he, he just doesn't offer enough going forward uh, in comparison to what Bellerin does. And I guess, you know, that's uh, that's not his fault. He's not that sort of player. But Bellerin added such a dimension when he came in to mm. the point where you see Bakary Sanya at City and go, oh, yeah. You know, because Sanya used to give us so much, but we're just not missing him at all because this kid has come from nowhere with his weird little Spanish Cockney accent and been an absolute revelation. And I guess that must that must be as much of a sucker punch to Debushi as to anybody else. He would have expected to be the first team uh, right back coming in here. And, you know, from his performances, he just doesn't really look up for the fight. He looks very much the sort of, you know, the second choice utility man. Yeah. Yeah, uh, look, as long, long may the uh, the Spockney accent live because it's just marvellous to listen to, to Hector when he talks, uh, you know, whatever about his football, I just like listening to him talk. Um, right, look, we're, we're going to leave it there, but look, what's going on with Football Ramble? You've got a Christmas special out. Where can people get that? We do. You can go to iTunes and get the Football Rambles Christmas Party for uh, it's two pounds forty nine. It was seven ninety nine in the iTunes store for no reason. We don't know why we did that. That was a mistake. We've not gone mad, uh, but yeah, you can get that over there. You can check us out at the footballramble.com or at Football Ramble on Twitter. You can check out me at Jim Campbell TFR, as in the Football Ramble on Twitter. And uh, yeah, that's you know stuff for gigs that I'm doing, possibly in your locale as well. Yeah, there's all kinds of ramble and gym action going on on the internet. All right, brilliant. Well, look, that's where people. Are- find you thanks a million good to talk to you again and we'll catch up again soon you too mate cheers uh, Jim has given you pretty much all the information that you need to find him or the football ramble guys but he did ask me to mention that they're doing a, a weekly phone in show if you're a subscriber to Sirius Radio in the USA Sirius XMFC you can listen to the weekly phone in show with the football ramble guys on channel 85 uh, every Thursday from 1pm Eastern Time which is also repeated on Friday morning so that's Sirius XM uh, channel 
Channel 85 every Thursday. Isn't that the wonderful thing about technology, new technology? You can do radio from a completely different country. It's amazing. Those of you who have sometimes caught me on a Saturday night when I've come in and had a few drinks and I haven't quite been tired enough to go to bed, um, I come up here sometimes and I can broadcast live via this thing called Mixler. So I just waffle and play music. And it is wonderful. So serious, you know, if you want an Arsenal phone-in show, just, just give me a shout. You know, I can do it right from here. That's if you've got any money left, of course, after giving Howard Stern a 12-year contract, a new 12-year deal for Howard Stern. Fuck. He is amazing, though. Like, truly, like a genius, amazing Howard Stern. But that's that's what Sirius needs to take it to the next level, beyond Howard Stern, an Arsenal phone-in show. Yeah. <clears throat> We'll see about that. All right. We're going to take a short break for a thing, and then we're going to come back and do Savile Rogue stuff, give you a chance to win goodies, give you the winners of last week's goodies, and um, what else? Look ahead to the Manchester City game, I guess, because that's coming up on Monday. So we're right back after this. Now it's time to be at home with Roman Abramovich. Oh, yeah. Welcome to my home. I am Abramovich. Abramovich like sacking football managers. Top three Abramovich sacking. Number one. Di Matteo. He win Champions League and I sack anyway. Make Abramovich look like strong and powerful man. Number two. Jose Mourinho. I sack him in 2007 because he is very, very annoying man. I don't like him, so I sack. You're not so special one now, Jose. I shout out window at him as he walk away. Number one Abramovich sacking manager? Jose Mourinho again. I do it once more to him. Ha! I show you what I am made of. I am Abramovich. I am the one who make the big decisions. And you, you live with only 50 million pounds. Hey, wait a minute. Damn you, Mourinho. Now can only afford second-rate manager to take over. Well, we only have second-rate player. Ha ha! Tune in next week for more at Home with Abramovich. Baby. Welcome back. Right, time to do a bit of Savile Rogue stuff. Last week we gave you a chance to win one of their brilliant cashmere sweaters worth £149. I asked you from which club we signed Remy Guard. The answer was Strasbourg. And the random number generator has picked out Jin Eric Hegdal. Uh, well done to you, Jin. Wow, I'd love to have a name that's also booze, like Beer O'Toole or Puccino Murphy, something like that. That'd be great. Anyway, Jin, it's probably Yin. Oh, God, now that's ruined the whole thing. But anyway, I'll be in touch with you. Well done, and we'll get the prize out to you as quick as we can. Final Savile Row competition for 2015. Four pairs of slipper socks to give away. So when it gets really cold and you're sitting at home in front of the fire, you can just put these on, your feet get all toasty. And, um, oh, Christ, I always do this. I never think of a question before I start recording. Um, okay, here we go. Is Jose Mourinho being fired? A, hilarious. B, really, really funny. C, brilliant. D, magnificent. E, all of the above. 
you know the drill. Competition at arsblog.com. It's competition at arsblog.com. And a reminder that if you want to buy some stuff from the Savile Rogue website, you get yourself a 10% discount by using the code 10arsblog. 10arsblog gets you 10% off your order, and it helps support this podcast as well. So do take a look, savile-rogue.com. If you're looking for last-minute Christmas presents, that's where you need to go. Use the code 10arsblog to get 10% off all their great stuff they've got hats and scarves and socks and uh, all kinds of stuff on there you you just just a world of cashmere so check it out saddle-rogue.com and a reminder as well that if you're in london and you're desperately looking for something for the arsenal fan in your life there are still a few copies left of together the story of arsenal's unbeaten season beautiful hardback book that i wrote along with andrew allen they're in the tollington so that's where you can get them. If you're really stuck for an Arsenal fan and they need a book, this is great. It tells the story of the 2003-2004 season. Beautiful hardback book with pictures and everything else. And the last few copies are on sale at just £15. How could you go wrong? So get yourself to the Tollington and uh, have a pint, buy a book. You're all sorted. Then you have another pint, another pint, have some of the food, another pint, another pint, have some whiskeys, have a, you know, go crazy, and you go home, and you forget the book, and you go, oh, God. But it's the thought that counts, right? It's true. So do that. If you're really stuck for Christmas presents this year, the Tollington, have what you need. So look, we're playing Manchester City on Monday night which is annoying. Monday night football is kind of shit, but there you go. Not much we can do about it at this stage. Team news is that everybody who was available for the Aston Villa game is also available, and there's a small chance that Alexis Sanchez could be involved. Now, I think that means he'll be on the bench. Uh, I don't think we'll risk him from the start, but, but, you know, playing Manchester City, and he has been running, he hasn't involved himself in full training, according to Arsene Wenger. Um... I think he's going to be on the bench, at least, right? You know, he has to be. If we need him, at least we have that there in reserve. Bit of something extra from uh, from the substitutes bench. Uh, what can you say about the team, about the game? Look, it's one of those that is pretty much a must-not-lose rather than a must-win. There's no gap between us, uh, other than the fact that we're a point ahead of Manchester City at this point. Uh, so, you know, it's not like we're trying to play catch-up. We just don't want to lose any ground. Obviously, it's a game you'd like to win. I think we've got the players who can really hurt them. Ramsey and Ozil, Olivier Giroud scoring goals, Theo Walcott making a contribution from... The left-hand side, you know, even though it baffles my head. Uh, Joel Campbell in, in reasonably good form as well. It's going to be tough, and particularly in that centre of midfield where we're not maybe as secure as we used to be with Coquelin in there. But, you know, perhaps that's offset by the fact that we're more attacking and more dynamic from the centre of midfield now too. But I think Manchester City could hurt us a lot more easily than Aston Villa could last weekend. There were some moments in that game that were a little bit scary. But hey, hopefully we can uh, pull a performance out of the hat to say Send us all on our way to Christmas, uh, feeling festive and in good form. Speaking of which, Christmas Day is next Friday, which means that there won't be an Arscast next Friday. Sorry about that, but there's not much I can do. If God wants to make his only son born on next Friday when I'm trying to do a podcast, look, it's out of my hands. What can I tell you? But there will be an Arscast Extra on Tuesday, not Monday because we don't play until Monday night. There's another downside of Monday Night Football. So the Arsecast Extra, James and I, will be here with, I guess, a festive edition of the Arsecast Extra on Monday. Hopefully we're talking about an Arsenal win, or at least not an Arsenal loss. Um, in the meantime, have yourselves a great weekend. Um, 
Can we laugh a bit more at Mourinho? Yeah, I think so. We'll do that. I just left the gap there for you to, to do the laughing. You know, I'm not that good of an actor. It would sound completely fake and unconvincing, like, ha, 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 ha. Uh, uh, you see? Not very good. Catch you on the far side of Christmas with the Arscast. Uh, probably, oh, wow, that's weird, isn't it? Because New Year's Day then is going to be it's New Year's Day of Friday as well. So the chances are that that's not going to be an Arscast day either. Holy shit. We'll have to figure something out. Maybe we'll do a couple of extras or something. I won't leave you short. All right? We'll figure something out in the meantime. Uh, talk to you on Tuesday then. All right? Have a good one. Cheers. Bye-bye. Well, thanks for coming in. Uh, I can only speak for myself here, even though I am Bruce Buck, the chairman of Chelsea Football Club, because, you know, there's a guy, he's a bit more important than I am, and you just don't want to piss him off. But I think the interview has gone really well, and I think you're an outstanding candidate to take over from Jose Mourinho. But for me to convince, you know, him up there. I've got to give him one thing. He likes this one thing that sets you apart from everybody else. So if I if I go to him and say, this guy, this is what he is, what would that be? Just just tell me off the top of your head, what, what would that thing be that would set you apart from all the other candidates that have come in here? <laughs> well, uh, I would say it's that I'm Mick Benoit, and I'm the greatest player manager that ever lived. How would that? I think we can pretty much say the job is yours. Nice one. Now, I'm just going to give Agent Seska a call. Ha <laughs> ha!